Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In this, the second half of our two-part program, we continue an insightful conversation with the writer and producer of the film, Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America, which is distributed by Sony, a founding partner of the Black Information Network. Jeffrey Robinson joins us on Our Daily Story. Now, you've touched on it a bit, but I want to dive a bit deeper. There have been lots of arguments against teaching critical race theory or more accurately against teaching American history. Yes. We're honest. What do you think or rather, why do you think teaching our students about American history is important? George Orwell said it most ominously. Who controls the past controls the future. Mm. There is a reason that these folks want the, to literally erase from our history the facts about our reliance on anti-Black racism and our embrace of the myth of white supremacy. Because if they don't, if children are taught this, what happens to the future? You can go back to 1837. John C. Calhoun, one of the most brilliant racists in American history, and he is writing about uh, not teaching the theory of abolition of slavery in schools. Mm. And he says, it's the minds of the rising generation that are at stake. If these kids start learning about abolition, slavery is done for. And he was right. And at the end of the last administration, that administration put out something called the 1776 report, which they called a return to patriotic education. And one of the things they said is we have to get to the minds of the rising generation, wow. the exact same words used by John C. Calhoun. And President Trump just said, we need people who are willing to give their lives for this country. And they won't do that if they hear this CRT stuff. All of this stuff is centered in the fear that if Americans understand the truth about our history, black and white Americans, Americans of all races, people will say, huh, we actually have to do something about this and do something different than what we've done before. That is the fear that is behind this. And if you question, is this information really that powerful? Look at how desperate these folks are with these anti-CRT laws. They're banning books again. <laughs> this, is, this is incredibly desperate behavior. So if you have a question about the power of this history, just look to the people who are opposing it. They know how powerful this stuff is. And that's why they're so desperate to oppose it and why their, their efforts will ultimately fail. 
Sure. So, so let's piggyback off of that for a bit. When you were researching this film, Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America, were you surprised to learn the depths of racism ingrained into our society by this country's founding fathers? I, I was, you know, people often say the devil is in the details okay. and there were brought, did I know that there was like the three fifths clause in the constitution? Yeah, I knew that. Sure. And I knew there were other clauses. I knew the electoral college was in the constitution, but what you start to see when you read these documents is I'll give you an example. I think this is in the film. Uh, I can't remember if it is or not, but Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. Mm. When they're writing letters at the Constitutional Convention, one of the things he says is there are 236,000 Blacks in Virginia, but few or none in the northern states. Now, what he was talking about was we need guns to keep these folks enslaved because what happens if they don't want to be enslaved? But the Electoral College was created to give the South a guarantee, not that they could elect the president of the United States, but that they would have a major say, that they would have enough clout in the presidential election that they could protect the institution of slavery. I always thought the three-fifths clause was just to to dehumanize us and say we were only three-fifths of a person. And while it certainly did that, that wasn't the deal. The deal was the Electoral College. Three-fifths of 236,000 people is a lot of people at the beginning of America. That gave the South more votes in the Electoral College because it was based on your population. And did it work? Well, Nine of the first 12 presidents of the United States were from the South and seven of them were from Virginia. So you start learning those details and it's like, wait a minute. And and there's a clause protecting the uh, international uh, trade and enslaved people, the transatlantic trade and enslaved people. And it basically says no state can pass a law preventing it before 1808. That's in the Constitution. And then they doubled down and said, hmm, just in case somebody says, well, we can't pass a law preventing that uh, importation of enslaved people, but we'll amend the Constitution and get rid of it. They put in an extra clause saying you can't change this clause until 1808. They doubled down on it. So they were blatant in their embrace of anti-Black racism and the myth of white supremacy. And that detail is the kind of thing that made me have to sit back and and, and take a moment. And the other thing I'll just say real quickly is, you know, I was taught like many people in America have been taught that there were multiple issues about the Civil War that started the Civil War. If you go to the states that left the Union, and you read what they wrote in their secession statements, they are some of the most virulently anti-Black racist things in history. And they didn't make any bones about it because they weren't trying to hide it from anybody. 
Texas was trying to teach. This is before CRT, when CRT would have been thought of, oh, is that a breakfast cereal or something? Texas in 2017, 18 was trying to pass a law saying you have to teach that slavery was a secondary issue in the Civil War when you teach our children. And when you go to the Texas secession statement, they say that black people were meant to be enslaved by the hand of almighty God. I saw that. Yeah. And, and so these contradictions, you know, uh, are the things that made me sit back and say, Hey, this is not an accident. This, This is not coincidence. This is a deliberate attempt to rewrite the truth about our history. So how can people watch who we are, a chronicle of racism in America? Well, the movie has been in theaters uh, and uh, it's still in some theaters around America. But at the end of this month, on March 29, it's actually going to be available on video on demand. And so this is like, you know, iTunes or, or, or that kind of thing. And it'll be available for rent or for purchase. And then we think it will be streaming later in the year. And we'll have the details out on that very, very soon. So folks will be able to watch it. And the other thing I will say is if you go to our website, thewhowweareproject.org, there are still ways that groups can uh, arrange to see the movie together and then engage with me or other folks that are in the film about what the Who We Are Project is doing, because this movie is just the first thing that the Who We Are Project is doing. Yeah, so tell us about the Who We Are Project. This project is what I left the ACLU to create because I just felt like it was necessary. And there are many, uh, there are many organizations working in this space and, you know, all of them are important. I think what we are trying to do is to uh, create in our community, one of our primary goals to create in our community, historians, not just people who go to school and get a history degree, but to create people who understand how to do research with the incredible tools that we have today and every state having a state historical society and people understanding what original source documents are and how to confirm these sources. The stuff that I started researching, it was just amazing. And one of the things that I'm so disappointed in is that I started this research after my great grandmother died. Hmm. She was born in 1878 or so, right around there. You know, the date isn't clear, but her parents were enslaved. I never talked to her about any of her experiences. I didn't talk to my parents about these experiences, not deeply because we were living them in the civil rights moment, but I never went back to them and said, tell me about when you were growing up in the twenties and thirties in Memphis and what happened. The history in my family is gone because I didn't know. And one of the things I think, one of the ways that we can keep this history alive in our community is to train our, 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 our youth to train them to no matter what 
area of uh, uh, endeavor they go into to look into this history, not only the history in original source documents and research, but the history in their families, the history in their communities, going down to a black cemetery and looking at the names on the markers and saying, I wonder who these people were. And what you will find is a history that is so rich that it's incredible. The Who We Are Project wants to encourage that. We're gonna work in three areas, youth, and I say youth because I don't mean schools. In states that don't have anti-CRT laws, we'll be working with those school systems up one side and down the other. We have uh, already created uh, uh, a path to break this movie into 19 minute segments. And we have a study guide that goes with it so that teachers can integrate this into what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But in schools that have anti-CRT laws, they may be able to keep us out of the schools, but kids don't just learn in a classroom. We'll be in those communities doing presentations with groups, showing these youngsters just what their teachers either can't teach them or don't want to teach them. So the CRT, the anti-CRT laws are really just a magnet for the Who We Are project in terms of we are definitely going to be working in that state. We're going to work in our second area of community groups, everything from the most conservative group to the most liberal group to the most religious group to the most secular group, doing presentations, getting this information out there, because that is our goal. Information. Information is power, and we want this information out there in the broadest way possible. And the third area is corporate and government offices. There are government officials who don't know this history. And if they did, they wouldn't think that they could pass a law saying you can't kneel on someone's neck and then at some level think, oh, well, we've solved the problem that killed George Floyd. That's not what killed George Floyd. What killed George Floyd is a history of policing that has reports from 1919, 1935, 1967, 1992, all over the United States saying exactly the same thing. We don't need another commission. We need to understand the real problem with policing. And so that's why government offices are one example of why they're important. And with corporations, we can go to the largest corporation in America give this presentation, the presentation that this film is based on, or show them the film, and then just ask the question, where did you spend your money last year? Not salaries, not benefits, but from who you got paper clips from to your highest paid consultant. Just put that on a spreadsheet. How much of that went to the black community? Other people are asking these questions, but if you ask a corporation that and they look, what they're largely going to say is uh, practically nothing. What can you do about that? You don't need a law. You don't need uh, guidance. You need a statement to the folks in your company saying, we want to infuse some money into the Black community. You got three months. Come up with a plan of how we might do that. What would happen if major corporations in America started to, to, to look at that issue in that way. So we, we feel like this information can empower folks in all kinds of areas. And our goal is to play a very narrow role. There's so many other things that need to be done, 
every attempt to move forward on racial justice in the last hundred years has been done with an ignorance of this history. And that's why we take two steps forward and three steps backward, because we're not solving the problem. So our role is to fill this one narrow lane, but in that one narrow lane, we're going to be as aggressive as we can. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com B-I-N. Jeffrey Robinson is with us writer and producer of the film, Who We Are, a Chronicle of Racism in America. So you've given us some of your upcoming projects. Uh, I know people are going to be excited about it. Let us know how we can keep up with you. Let's plug the website again, any social media. Uh, Thank you very much. And really come to our website, thewhoweareproject.org. You will see uh, what we're doing, some of our ideas going forward, some of the projects we're working on, where I'm going to be doing presentations and and understanding as we build this organization, because literally, you know, I, I left the ACLU and uh, am with, with our chief of staff, Andrea Crabtree, who has worked with me for the last 20 years. The two of us have launched this organization and we are building it very quickly and are very excited about the things we're going to be able to accomplish and the things we've already accomplished. So come to our website and uh, and check us out, thewhoweareproject.org. Very good. Now, you mentioned the 1770. It's called the 1776 report, and it came out on it came out on the Monday before uh, uh, the, the, the election was going to be certified on Wednesday, it was on Martin Luther King's birthday or the day we celebrated for his birthday. And they've got all kinds of pictures of him in the report and you know quotes like, judge me by the content of my character, not the color of my skin. They don't have the quote where four years later he says, yeah, that dream I had that day, that's turned into a nightmare. Um, and so it, it, it says we need to return to patriotic education. It was a White House report and the Biden administration took it down from the White House website almost immediately when they came into office. But I think if you search the Internet, you'd be able to find a, a copy of it. And it's a it's a remarkable document. OK, what is the difference between that and Nicole Hannah Jones 1619 project? 
Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones 1619 uh, project is, it's literally like, uh, it, it's not even in the same universe. Nicole Hannah-Jones project is done by historians, academicians, people who have done significant research and are writing about what actually happened and also connecting things in terms of, you know, their scholarship. But let me give you an example. The 1776 report is, it's about 40 pages long, first of all. I mean, and it's its written at, you know, a high school level. And it's, it, 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 is, uh, it is so fallacious that it's, it's ridiculous. One of the things they say is James Madison made it clear that the word slave should not be used in the Constitution because the word slave actually only appears once in the 13th Amendment outlawing slavery. The word slavery appears in the 14th Amendment when the United States is saying we ain't paying anybody who was who used to be in slavery. But in the original Constitution, the word slavery wasn't mentioned. And the 1776 report says this wasn't just like wordsmithing. James Madison did not want the document forming our country to admit that there could be property in men. And that's the end of the discussion. So what they're saying is James Madison was really against slavery and he didn't want any mention of it in the Constitution. What they don't say is he just substituted the word such persons for slavery. And then in six separate uh, provisions of the Constitution, they protected the institution of slavery. James Madison not only knew he was creating a document that would allow property in men, but he signed off on it. So that's the entire truth of, 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 of that event. What the 1776 report basically says is that we have to return to patriotic education so that people don't get the idea that America was founded by a bunch of people who were racist or white supremacist. They're, they're trying to have people like equate that document with the 1619 project. And that would be the equivalent of equating, you know, addition to nuclear physics. It's just, you know, the two things are not in the same territory at all. What Nicole Hannah-Jones and her, her collaborators did is, is substantive and amazing. This is just a political hack piece. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you your feelings on the hearings that just took place and Keisha Russell. Well, I will tell you, I'm writing something that I am going to try and get published and I'll tell you what part of it is. Uh, this, this relates to April 4th, which is coming up, which is the day that King was killed in Memphis, in my hometown. And so that day has always resonated, uh, you know, with me and I think with a lot of folks who were born there and who were living there at the time. And before King was killed, he was harassed, he was threatened, he was arrested, he was beaten. The FBI had a plot to try and get him to commit suicide. All of these attempts to silence him. And they finally killed him. And it shows you how far people will go to keep 
the kind of information that we've been talking about from being widespread because they know what the impact is going to be. How far were they willing to go to block this woman from being on the Supreme Court? They took the Constitution that they supposedly love, and they basically said, the Sixth Amendment, the thing that gives you the right to counsel, that's meaningless. And anybody that would devote their career to the Sixth Amendment, giving the right to counsel to people accused of crimes, is somehow un-American. That's how far they're willing to go. They are willing to trash the Constitution in order to attack her. And of course, what they don't say is that the Sixth Amendment is, yeah, it gives, it gives you the right to a lawyer if you're accused of a drug crime or a child pornography crime, or if you're accused of attacking the Capitol in a right-wing insurrection, you get a lawyer. That's a fundamental part of the Constitution. So these are people that are just demonstrating that they are willing to use her black skin and the choices that she made to defend those in her community, being a federal public defender. Yeah, she had relatives that were cops and in law enforcement, and that's great. But she chose to be a federal public defender. And the fact that they would take a black woman who has lived in the communities that have experienced the abuses of policing and say that she's somehow less than because she made those choices, I think reveals much more about the people asking those questions than it does about her. Well, it does reveal a lot about her because it reveals who she is and where she chose to take her brilliance and who she chose to serve with that brilliance. Um, and it wasn't money. And so uh, my feeling about it is that it's, it's horrific, it's ugly, and it's completely expected. It's like the Yankee catcher Yogi Berra said, this is like deja vu all over again. There's nothing new here. And this is what they resort to when they can't attack her intellect or her ability as a judge, or her performance as a judge. Well, can I ask you one more thing? You have such a brilliant mind. Do you think that we are in the middle of a government crisis? Well, I, 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 let me put it like this. In the film, and, and remember, the presentation that's in the film was recorded on Juneteenth, 2018. And I said then that we were at a tipping point. And the thing that I think is significant is that in a country with a history that's 400 years old in its colonial and constitutional form, tipping points don't last for a moment or a year. It could be a decade. It could be even longer. The tipping point we were in in 2018 is the exact same tipping point that we are at right now. And there has been no resolution on which way we're going to roll, either backwards or forward. And that's why when you say like a government crisis, I think that's what people are feeling. It's, hey, 
we're about to take some steps here that are really important. And which way are they going to go? And that's one of the reasons that I, I, I ask people to think about January 6th and to think about the desperation of parents screaming at a school board meeting, essentially saying, my child is in the fourth grade and I want to make sure that you're not going to teach him a curriculum that can't be taught until you get to law school. That makes no sense. But that shows the desperation of folks to not change the status quo. This is why they're trying to erase our history from the books. This is why they're trying to teach our kids, hey, America was just about freedom and democracy. Don't worry about anything else. This is why they were storming the Capitol. These are acts of desperation. And I, 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 I think it's important to think about it. Uh, if this, what would it look like if America was really about to turn in the right direction on racial justice? What would it look like? And part of my view is this is exactly what it would look like. Do we really think that the folks who want the status quo to remain were just going to like sip their tea and eat some crumpets and say, oh, well, our way of life is going away. Uh, too bad. We had our moment. We'll just ride with it. They're going to get desperate. It's going to look exactly like it looks right now. Now, the problem is you could also say, what would it look like if we were about to roll backward? And it would look very much like it looks right now. That's why the tipping point is here. That's why we are at this place that is so important. And why I would say to people, if you are ever thinking that neutrality won't have an impact, this is the moment where you are seriously wrong. Because uh, these are the moments, and you can go back to every dictatorship in history, where people decided, well, I'll just kind of watch, and I don't think it's really going to get that bad. Um, this is the moment where people need to think, this is how we as a generation, how we as a country in this generation are going to be judged. So I think we are. I think there is a feeling of crisis. I think there is a feeling of which way are we going to go? And that's because uh, I think there's a lot at stake right now. Okay, I know it's time to let you go, but I got one more question for you. Just listening to you talk inspired the thought. And I have to ask, aren't we black people? Aren't we due for a correction? And by correction, I mean... Not necessarily a solution, but but a, a correction. Think Lincoln with slavery. Think LBJ with the Voting Rights Act. Even recently with police officers um, wanting to connect with communities. What are your thoughts on that? Well, there's a, a, I, think, I think one of the best ways to answer that question is to talk about the difference between good policy going forward and reparatory policy looking backward. Good policy going forward is absolutely critical. And those policies, to the extent that they take into account the truth about our history, 
Those policies will be different than they were before. If you were trying to reinvigorate the Greenwood neighborhood in Tulsa and you had never heard of the massacre, you might be buying into some, oh, the people here need to work harder and let's figure out how we can get them to do that. But if you knew about the massacre, you'd be saying, no, 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 that's not the problem here. The problem here is repairing what's been done. So again, that's the importance of history. But we can have good policy going forward. Going forward, we're going to do this and this and this with this equity involved and this in mind. And that's fantastic. It doesn't solve what's happened in the past. H.R. 40 is a bill in front of Congress that would create a commission to study the issue of reparations for slavery and the vestiges of slavery. In other words, what came after slavery and then to make reparatory proposals to Congress. It has more support in Congress and nationally than ever before in American history. And this is one of the things that, you know, we talk about in the film when people say, oh, reparations for slavery, that could never happen. That's like too complicated. We've never done that. Well, we actually have done it and we've done it twice. And we did it <laughs> during the Civil War when Abraham Lincoln knew he was about to free a bunch of enslaved people with the Emancipation Proclamation. And so six, eight months before that, he set up a commission under what was called the Compensated Emancipation Act. And he paid $1 million to Washington DC slave owners for lost property, for freeing their enslaved people. So we've paid reparations for slavery to slave owners. And it was $1 million in 1862 money. We paid Japanese Americans, I think it was $2.3 billion in 1988 for three and a half years of imprisonment during World War II and for land and other things that were taken from them. That didn't make it equal, but it was a recognition that something that happened in the past had to be cured and could not be cured by good policy going forward. I think uh, these are things that our country has to reckon with. And when we're asking ourselves, why are these gaps between black and white America at all these socioeconomic markers? It's a complicated issue. And if we really wanna solve it, we can, and we could solve it in a way that would benefit every single American. This is the last thing I'll say on the topic. Uh, one in five people in our community live in poverty. What would America look like if it was one in 10 or one in 12? Not just in our community, talking about every community across America, what would it look like? How much better would everyone be? And that's why I think, you know, this, this issue is, it's about the United States and everybody in the United States. And so, uh, you know, it's gonna be, this is an interesting time to be alive because uh, 50 years from now, people are definitely gonna be looking back at us and going, so what did they do at this moment? Thank you very much for your insight. Once again, today's guest is Jeffrey Robinson, writer and producer of the film, Who We Are, A Chronicle of Racism in America which is distributed by Sony, a founding partner of the Black Information Network. And today, I'll leave you with a quote from the man himself, Jeffrey Robinson. People aren't just good or bad.
people are many things. Every person in this theater knows that's true because every one of us has been a saint or a sinner at some times in our lives. And you know what? Countries aren't just one thing either. They're many things. America has demonstrated its greatness time and time and time again. And America is one of the most racist countries on the face of the earth. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. It is not an either or. And the reason I'm asking us to think about this is that literally the future is at stake. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show was produced by Chris Thompson. Follow us on all social media at Our Daily Story Podcast. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice from our perspective, right here on Our Daily Story. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.